I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Brad Spielberger joining us remotely to discuss all things NFL cut day, roster building, week one rosters, about 98% of the way there. Brad, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Just recovering from a busy day. Yeah, so uh, let's discuss all of like the mechanics and, and all of that, right? The NFL used to do cut day in two or three different waves, right? You get that first wave. It was the guys you knew weren't going to make the roster, but you had to keep enough guys to play week, preseason week four. And then right after that, you'd have that Saturday. It, sometimes it'd be like the first Saturday of college football. And middle of college football, you'd be getting trades and releases. And, uh, but now they said it's just one day. So yesterday, literally over 1,000 players cut. Uh, what went into you know, some of the decisions and, and the way they, the NFL changes? What's, what's your take on how the NFL changed this whole process? Yeah, it actually does have a couple, you know, kind of trickle-down effects. I think the biggest is, you mentioned, having to have enough players to play in those preseason games. I had a conversation with someone at a club recently who was talking about, we used to not really, you know, notice if a, if a, a player, a contributor, was getting snaps in the second half of a preseason game, they'd say, well, the team probably has some injuries there, they just need a body to go out there and play, but now... With 90-man rosters, if there is a guy who was a you know regular season contributor in the in the past who's playing into the second half of preseason games, it does kind of you know hit a light bulb because you say, okay, they could probably find somebody else to take these snaps. Why is this guy playing? So I think that's one big thing. And then you start to get some more trade calls, more things happening. I think we saw. As a result, a lot more swaps yesterday and little, you know, future conditional pick moves, things like that, because I think they do have a better understanding of who's on the roster, who's not, uh, or who could be available. Um, but yeah, it has changed the dynamics of the cutdown day. Now, look, full disclosure, I might, might be all over the place here today because a lot happened. I've got a printout, I highlighted some names, you know, I get the hard copy of all, you know, I might just be all over the place here today. Um, but I want to start. So, Jonathan Taylor, the Colts. The Colts team building effort, there's a couple different things I wanted to discuss there, but Jonathan Taylor had, uh, was it a self-imposed deadline or was it more just the mechanics of the way, uh, the way the roster rules work? Jonathan Taylor not traded by the Colts, so what happens now to Jonathan Taylor? Colts kind of imposed deadline because the thinking there was if you want to trade for him and get him on your roster and not leave him on the PUP list, you know, which now he is on, cannot play for a month, even if he gets traded tomorrow, he's still out for a month. The Colts were basically saying, get this deal done, and then you can activate him off pup and, and maybe only keep him out for two weeks instead of four or whatever you want to do. So that was the soft deadline that existed. It sounds like the Colts never came off of their very high asking price, though, of either a first-round pick or a package of picks equivalent to a first-round pick, which was just simply never going to happen. When you hear things like that, I always say, okay, so they don't want to trade him, and they don't they don't plan on trading him. So what happens now is, yeah, he's out for the first month, needs to get healthy from that ankle injury, but when he comes back, is he going to play? Is there going to be more headaches? 
to a degree, though, he has to report and be ready to play. If he tries to hold out longer than that and just not report whatever, the Colts can toll his contract, meaning that this year would not count. They can say, okay, you're under the fourth year of your rookie deal again next year. Not even a franchise tag. We're just rolling it over. So week five, things are going to get very interesting once again. Yeah, so Taylor, the, the Colts really have the leverage, right? Because if Taylor does want to get out of Indianapolis – he has to play, as you said, to get that fourth year to become a free agent. And, you know, missing the first four games for a guy coming off injury, not the worst thing in the world. And, and again, the Colts, from a trading standpoint, had to weigh what they're getting offered from with what they could get if Taylor walks, what they want to get from Taylor in season here. Kind of an ugly situation. I know we've talked a lot about running backs. I know you've talked a lot about running backs, but... Uh, overall, where, where do you see the position going? Do you think there's ever going to be any sort of reset where running backs get paid a little bit if they end up become you know the best guys? Because I mean, it doesn't get that much better than Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, and Jonathan Taylor. So this looks like a serious tipping point for the league. A hundred percent. And I think you know people look back and like to kind of poke fun at Le'Veon Bell and you know say, oh, he missed out on this money, yada yada yada. Um, to a degree, though, I think these guys are thinking of the position group at large and not just themselves. I mean, Zeke Elliott famously, when it was after his third season, went down to Cabo, gained about twenty pounds, pulled a James Harden, um, but it led to you know one of the best contracts at the position in the history of the sport. I mean, arguably the best. Uh, you know, McCaffrey got a little bit more on an annual basis, but Zeke's guarantees were super strong the cash flows were, were pretty strong so anyway i think it's taylor saying look you're talking about a first team all pro rushing leader a guy who until last season it hadn't missed a practice apparently since high school or something like that and now you can't even pay him and for me i think the biggest kind of hypocrisy with the whole thing is the colts basically said okay we're not going to pay Jonathan Taylor a market rate deal. However, we need a first round pick or a package of picks. of So is he valuable or not? And I've said this on shows before, but I also think it's funny. I just mentioned Christian McCaffrey a week before the Colts traded up to take Jonathan Taylor. McCaffrey signed his deal for $16 million a year. Like you knew exactly what you were getting into. I know the market dynamics have changed. You shouldn't pay, you know, a hundred bucks for a $5 item just because it used to be a hundred bucks five years ago. But it's just, it's a, I think we're approaching a rock bottom. I really do. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor specifically definitely has a decision to make when he gets back in week five. And you have a decision to make as a parent. Fall's all about back to school and back to routine. Checklists, but the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future. How about that, Brad? Starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life. Make it quick and easy and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Brad, the Colts aren't the most popular team in the world, but I want to finish with this on, on their team-building effort. As I was tweeting through it yesterday, I love looking at what's remaining on the roster. And the Colts trade Stephon Gilmore at cornerback this offseason. Here's what they're left with. Basically, a whole bunch of tall, long, 
athletic corners who have not played football. They're outside corners. So you take Kenny Moore, he's their slot, their nickel, out of the equation. They're rolling with Dallas Flowers, 2022 undrafted free agent. Daryl Baker Jr., 2022 undrafted free agent. And then two rookies, Juju Brents and Jalen Jones. Brents was a second rounder out of Kansas State. Jalen Jones, a seventh round pick. My guy, Darius Rush, gets cut fifth rounder. So that's a whole different story. We could talk about that in a second. But the Colts at the cornerback position, Dallas Flowers on their outside corners. He has 175 defensive snaps. The other three have zero. I don't know if I've ever seen a cornerback room this inexperienced. And not just inexperienced. It's not like they've got a first. And, it's UDFAs and a second rounder in Juju Brents. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like this. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I don't think we've seen this other places, but I will say I think we have seen some teams um, and the Colts maybe falling into this bucket. In particular, their big ticket free agent signing, kind of the only one they made outside of giving a kicker, you know, massive money for some reason. But you bring in Samson Ebukam, you know, with all due respect to Matt Gay, you know, you bring in Samson Ebukam as your big ticket signing. You obviously already have DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart on the middle, a very good interior, and then you want to see growth from um, Deo Dangbo and Quiddy Pay and a lot of these young guys along the line. But I think, you know, you look at San Francisco, you look at some teams, I guess they did just pay Traverius Ward, but we've seen teams around the NFL where they say, we're going to spend crazy amounts of money up front. And, and, and the, the drawback or the, the trade-off, I should say, is you don't really spend in the secondary and say, hey, if we get pressure in two and a half seconds or less every snap, we can have some, you know, good athletes, guys that can mirror and do whatever. Maybe that's the Colts' approach, but it's certainly going to be interesting. All right, I want to talk about the Vikings a little bit too because there's a similar cornerback room. So I'm just going to go. I'm just going to fly around the league and we'll just talk about whatever. And you could bring stuff up. You could talk about the Bears in a minute here. But the Vikings have a similar cornerback situation and so like with the Colts I can almost justify it right I mean there are certain schemes as you mentioned depending on uh, the pass rush and uh, when you play a zone heavy scheme there is actually way more pressure on your linebackers and safeties when you're playing zone but when you're playing man clearly the pressure's on your corners and the Vikings bring in Brian Flores who likes to play man more than anybody and they've got a similar situation, uh, you know, fifth-round rookie Makai Blackman, uh, Caleb Evans, who only has about a couple hundred snaps uh, in his career, Andrew Booth, barely a hundred snaps in his career. So they've got three corners. Now, Byron Murphy, again, he'll play slot, but the Vikings are rolling in for a scheme that probably needs corners unless Brian Flores is going to adjust things. Very inexperienced cornerback room. I know there's always more moves to be made, but fascinating approach here by the Vikings and a couple other moves that they've made as well. Yeah, this one's weird because I think you look at it and you say, oh, well, maybe Andrew Booth had a great camp and you know he's looking like the guy they thought they were going to get last year. That's not what the reporting has been, at, at least. So, yeah, it is interesting. And then also, you talk about pass rush. You know, Zadarius Smith's 80 pressures are no longer on the team. Dalvin Tomlinson's an awesome football player in all facets. He's no longer on the team, obviously now in Cleveland. I, if, it's interesting because Brian Flores, a phenomenal defensive coach, probably a very sought-after defensive coordinator, and he did have a couple – look, he had a couple of head coach interviews, and he had a couple of DC interviews as well. I love Daniel Hunter. I, I love Harrison Smith, whatever. But, like, this is one of the least talented defenses in the entire NFL. And, yeah, they were very, very bad last year. But can Flores work his magic and make them, you know, a top-20 defense? It's going to be hard to do. Uh, one other thing that the Vikings did that uh, we, we didn't know how it was going to play out until they made the final cuts, but around draft time, undrafted free agency, they paid a ton of money for two guys, Andre Carter from Army 
and uh, Ivan Pace, local hero here at Cincinnati. Love Ivan Pace. But uh, Sam and I talked about Carter at the time. He was last year at this time talked about as a fringe first rounder, a top 50 caliber player. Didn't have the type of senior year that maybe people expected at Army. Uh, was kind of underweight as well because you've got this Army workout regime and he's got this big long frame and he was probably playing undersized. And the Vikings end up paying over $300,000 guaranteed to bring Andre Carter in as an undrafted free agency. There's an article on ESPN.com breaking that down as well today. Uh, discuss the, the economics of undrafted free agency versus late-round picks. Is this an edge that certain teams are tapping into? Is this something that Quazy has found where you can overpay for these undrafted free agents and you know take some shots? It's a new thing we've seen probably over the last five years or so. Philadelphia's been doing it, you know, shocker. They've been doing it right. kind of since the beginning. A couple yep. other teams as well, um, where, you know, you do have a pool of signing bonus you're allowed to give that every team gets that is not a very big amount of money. So what they do instead is they guarantee a certain amount of salary. To a degree, really what you're guaranteeing is just, hey, you're making it, at minimum, you're making our practice squad. So you're locked into, you know, $200,000, whatever. But when a guy like Carter, you know, a non-quarterback gets 300000 so, you know, I, I almost double what he would make on the practice squad, it sticks out, right? I mean, he's he's legitimately getting more guarantees than late sixth-round picks, um, which is notable. And, yes, it is. I, I think it's hard to think of a story of a guy that then turned into a great player, but you do see guys make rosters and, and guys be factors over the last couple of years because of these payments – like I said, Eagles have done it. I think Quazy definitely identified two good players. I'm excited about Ivan Pace. I think he's going to you know, start or, or have a significant role in this defense with Brian Asamoa um, and some of the veterans they have there. But, yeah, it, it's a smart market to tap into and not to give away any tricks or anything. But these phone calls from teams to agents are happening about the middle of the fifth round uh, trying to figure these things out. It, it is not like they're waiting until the end of the draft to get this thing done. Do you, do you think the NFL is going to ever try to overregulate undrafted free agency I know I know there's not a lot of big names there but the NFL has tried to monetize the schedule release right I mean they have a show to release the schedule so would they ever have I don't know day four of the NFL draft Sunday undrafted free agency and you know hat selections and everything I don't know if there's enough big names to to make that happen but you know in the future, if the NFL if the NFL can get their hands on it, regulate something, I don't know if that's ever uh, ever in the cards for undrafted free agency. I would never doubt the NFL trying to turn something into a you know money grab and a, and a TV show that that us sickos will probably watch more than we watch most programming on television, but. And the current construct would just be a series of phone calls and and mayhem. Uh, I don't know how you how you'd put that out there, but yeah, maybe. What do you make of what the Vikings have done the last couple of years, right? I mean, there's, I feel like they're one of the teams that they were saddled with some contracts that they got rid of this year. You've got Kirk Cousins, who's, you know, a top half of the league quarterback, top 10 caliber quarterback, so you can win with him. At the same time, there's this massive youth movement, right? So you've got to turn over the roster. I think the Titans are kind of in the same boat where they're half rebuilding but half trying to compete with their moves. What do you make of teams that feel like they're in this middle world of rebuilding and competing? You know, I, I did feel like last year may have been the year where it was smart to kind of get out of some of these deals and, and cut your losses. But I think now you look back in hindsight, not just because of their record, but I mean, look, Adam Thielen still got paid. Eric Kendrick still got paid. Like, they probably arguably still did get out one year early before things really fell off a cliff. I don't think Thielen looked like himself last year, but sounds like maybe some injuries going on there. So, 
The one thing for me that I was, you know, adamantly opposed to was if they just got rid of Daniil Hunter as well. Because then it's like, all right, you're going to have the worst defense in the NFL. And again, I think they were bottom five last year. So they have enough there that I still think the offense is going to be one of the best in the NFL. They're going to score a whole lot of points and maybe just hope they can do enough on defense in a bad NFC. But uh, it's weird. I think people kind of, I don't know, like moving on from the guys they moved on from, I think was kind of expected outside of, I suppose, the Darius Smith, but he got more, more money and a raise. He chopped off a year of his contracts. He was a pending free agent. I, I, I think they're they're doing the you know we hear the term competitive rebuild probably a thousand times in offseason. I think they're like the most picture perfect example of what that actually looks like. Yeah, I mean I, I don't know if I'm more sensitive to it now, but I feel like back in the day that it did happen more often. You you let veterans walk and young players came in and they were unproven and, and it was like you'd, it's a young man's game, right? You have to let people walk and now it feels like oh man, what are they doing? What are they? Do? But they're just they're letting the. At some point, you got to let the veterans walk and see what the youth can do. It doesn't always work, um, but fascinating, I think, watching what the Vikings are doing. Let's, let's um, call it popcorning sometimes, popcorn around the league with all the different teams here. Um, what are the Patriots doing at quarterback? They released Bailey Zappi and Malik Cunningham. They have no backup, and I don't know if Brian Hoyer is going to be on a plane to go save them. What are the Patriots going to do at backup QB? Yeah, Brian Hoyer and your agent stick by the phone. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. I saw a report, I think from Diana Rossini before it came on, that they want Bailey Zappi back on the practice squad if he clears waivers, which, I, you know, I suppose he can. I and mean, he was 2-0 and with a with a nine, yards per attempt above nine last year in his start. So you'd think a team like Cincinnati by you or someone maybe would at least consider making him the backup. Uh, there are actually a handful of teams that don't have a good number two right now. But I don't know. I really don't know what they're doing. Is it a Mac Jones power play? I, I don't really think so. My my real answer is, as good as Epi did look at times, he has a massive issue with fumbling the football. And if there's one thing we know about Bill Belichick, it's you can't fumble the football and keep your job. You know, ball security is job security, and I think we saw that play out yesterday. Bailey Zappi, 2-0 as a starter last year, beat the Detroit Lions and the Cleveland Browns as starter. Now, he didn't really play as – he played all right. He was fine. But remember, against the Bears on Monday Night Football, Mac Jones coming off an injury, not looking great. Mac throws an interception, and Bailey Zappi comes in. Bill Belichick didn't call it a benching, but it was just, no, no, we just made a move. Bailey Zappi came in. And Gillette Stadium went nuts. And then all it, it was unbelievable. It was like every time Bailey Zappi ran play action, it was like the defense didn't know what they were seeing. It was like, ah, I'm going to bite. I got to, you know, and then there's busted coverages everywhere. He throws a touchdown on a busted coverage, and Gillette's, Gillette Stadium was rocking like, a, like it was the AFC championship. Um, and then it all fell apart. Then he wasn't good for the rest of the game. The Bears crushed the Patriots, and we didn't see much from Zappi after that. Just, a, just an interesting, quick, you know, couple-week turn of events where Zappi was like this cult hero. And, of course, anytime a late-round quarterback has any success, people are like, oh, next Tom Brady. Could be the next Tom Brady. You never know. Next, you know, Brock Purdy. We'll always have Zappy Hour, Steve. We'll always have Zappy Hour. We'll always have Zappy Hour with the with the Patriots. So we'll keep an eye on their quarterback situation. I think they do want to bring Zappy back, but it's an interesting one with just Mac Jones on the roster right now. Uh, what are the Bears doing? What about the Bears? I saw this stat. Ryan Poles has been there two years now. Only eleven players remain from the previous regime. This is Ryan Poles' team. And uh, what do you make of everything the Bears are doing and then, you know, coming into cut day and in in what the, the rebuild looks like in Chicago? 
I think that may have actually even been before the waiver of Travis Gibson and Kendall Wilder. I think it's down to nine the last time I wow. saw it. So, look, I mean, he, he made it clear he wanted to get young. The team is now, the average age is under 25 years old, and that's even with the addition of 39-year-old ageless wonder Mercedes Lewis uh, in the fold. But I think you're also seeing the team just take the shape of what they want to be as football players, where, you know, Eberflus's defense, I think, didn't really – Look, he wants these these big, you know, Tyreek Stevenson, Darius Rush type guys at corner, uh, which wasn't really, you know, the guys that were in place before he got there on offense. The guards have gotten, you know, smaller but faster, better for outside zone. Uh, obviously, you add the tight ends, Tunyon and Lewis, they're going to run, I think, a lot more 12 personnel now. So, you know, and they focus on the offense. Uh, the defensive line, I think, is still going to be one of the worst in the NFL, but to a degree, I think you'll say, okay, you know, you have three a three receiver, you know, trio that is pretty solid with the addition of DJ Moore and Chase Claypool. I mentioned the tight ends plus Cole Komet. I actually love the backfield. Um, I think it's the perfect modern construction of an NFL backfield. You know, late round picks in Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson, and then a solid veteran who looked good last year in Deontay Foreman. So, long answer short, they're younger, they're faster, they're going to play more physical, they're going to be disciplined. They were actually very low in penalties last year, but. But the talent needs to just get better and develop. Like, I still think they're a 7-8 win football team. Um, but, you know, that's that's what you get when you go that young and give reps to to rookies and sophomores. Sometimes I like it, man. I like watching the young teams. I, the NFC North, with, with all the turnover with the Vikings, with turnover with the Bears, with the Packers, maybe the youngest team in the NFL. You know, their last two draft classes are going to be all over the field in Green Bay, plus Jordan Love at the helm. And it's like the Lions are like the veterans of the uh, of the division there in Detroit, which is just which is crazy. It, it is unbelievable. Um, I meant to ask you at the top, just for our listeners, when when we see veterans released and then they're brought back after week one, what can you just lay out simply what's happening there? Why are players getting released and coming back? What are the financial implications that we're looking at there? Yeah, it's actually one of my biggest uh, gripes with uh, NFL reporters when they say that a veteran's contracts become guaranteed if they're on the roster in week one. That is not the situation. But what's happening is it's called termination pay. If you're a nerd, it's Article 30 of the CBA if you want to go read it. Um, essentially what it is is if you are a vested veteran, so you've been uh, you know four-plus years in the NFL – if you, if you stay on the roster in week one, your contract then is protected in that if you are cut after that date, you can file a claim for termination pay and get your entire salary paid to you. If you're cut before week one and then brought back and you get cut again, your termination pay is then only, I think it's like 35% of your remaining salary. So it's it's really just protecting the teams for you know a couple hundred thousand dollars. But that's why they do it. These rosters are not final. We're going to see that across the NFL. I think I saw Cole Beasley with the Giants is going to probably be brought back. That's what's going on right now across the league. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team can go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple years. Change comes fast, and the only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PFF. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All right, Brad, I don't know if we'll put you on the spot here for a minute, but uh, I want to talk Chris Jones still. 
Um, any other big names? Are there any other big names that could be moving? Um, it did feel like this offseason. Sure, there was movement and everything. I Let me just throw this out there quick. I feel like the depth around the league is actually pretty solid. I feel like a lot of teams feel pretty good about their roster, but are there any other big names that could be on the move or that you're keeping an eye on or you know, big stories that we, we could be looking at here leading up to the season? And this might not fall into the biggest of names, uh, but I'll double down on something I put out on uh, the website earlier this week, uh, and Lions fans were, were really loving me on Twitter after I put it out. Um, but James Houston with the Detroit Lions, the edge rusher who obviously was a rookie last year, had eight sacks for the team, six-round pick, got cut, got brought back, um, and then was very good in a you know pure designated pass rusher role. Look, he was playing 20-plus snaps in the second half of preseason games when nobody else on Detroit was playing. Um, I'm telling you, I don't know if he's going to get traded, but I think he is available for a trade. And if a team calls and makes a solid offer, which, look, Detroit shouldn't give him up for nothing. Do we lose Brad? Former third-round pick. You know, They feel like they have depth there um, and obviously have some things to figure out on offense. So. Yeah, again, not a huge name, but a good, exciting rookie that's very, very good in a particular role. I'm not promising he's going to get traded, um, but it certainly wouldn't shock me. All right, a couple other trades that that occurred yesterday. The uh, Las Vegas Raiders trade defensive tackle Neil Farrell to the Kansas City Chiefs. And so he's your Chris Jones replacement. Neil Farrell's coming in to replace... Chris Jones. What's happening with Chris Jones? The, by all reports, he's claiming he will hold out the first eight weeks of the season. Why, why is it eight weeks? What's happening? What do you think is going to happen with Chris Jones? And then we'll, then we'll dissect a little uh, Neil Farrell here in a minute. Did we lose him? Was that just me? Well... I have to be professional here, and I'm going to run the show by myself. This is what happens on live TV. Because we've lost Brad. We'll get him back here. And uh, I was just looking up Neil Farrell so I could give you some some data. This is the dream, though. Steve you know, Flying Solo. Over a million dollars in, in these game checks, uh, you know, be, because of the fact that he's not on the... Let's get... Let's cut him off. Cut Brad off. I'm running the show. Sorry. We, Brad, you broke up, man. I don't know what happened here. Neil Farrell Jr. comes in, 2022 fourth-round pick for Las Vegas. Had a decent little, uh, where are we at here? Preseason, 65 grade. Last year, just 158 snaps for the Raiders. A 35 overall grade for Neil Farrell. So uh, he's a big dude, and he's coming in. I mean, he's not coming in to save the Chiefs or anything like that, but they've got some questions to answer on their defensive front. Charles Amenehu is suspended. They brought him in in free agency this offseason. Charles Amenehu is suspended for the first six games of the season, and then Chris Jones says he's going to hold out. Brad, I don't, I don't know if anybody heard anything that you said, so let's. Uh, do you want to try it again with the uh, Chris Jones analysis? Take it from the top. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, uh, so oh, yes, yeah, Chris Jones. Uh, yeah, you know Neil Farrell plus a little bit of talent there. So uh, what ha the deals with Chris Jones is he's now on the did not report list, which means he is not actually on the Chiefs roster right now. He is not counted against their fifty-three man roster. His salary is technically off the books right now. So they sort of just cleared a whole bunch of cap space, but not really. Um, but he's already accrued two million dollars in fines, and now for 
for each game he misses, he'll lose over a million dollars in game checks until he does finally report. The reason he mentioned week eight is that there is a certain timeline to where the Chiefs could basically toll his contract, meaning they would carry it over. He would not be a free agent after the season, just like I talked about with Jonathan Taylor. So he'll be back at some point. I do think there's teeth to his holdout. He might not report at all. My understanding is the overall value probably is a problem, but the guaranteed money he's looking for is just simply not in a realm the Chiefs are willing to entertain. I think this is the beginning of a saga that's going to continue for a couple more weeks. Yeah, we know how much of an impact Chris Jones has, as I mentioned earlier. Charles Amenehue also going to be going to be suspended. Look, the Chiefs are still going to be favored in every game and and all that, but we know it, there's a fine line in the NFL losing that impact player on the defensive side of the ball, even if it is just the first half-ish of the season. You know, could end up as far as seeding goes. You lose an extra game here and there. That stuff absolutely could add up here for the Chiefs. Um, anything else? I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through my sheet. Things that stood out. Do you want to talk kickers? Let's do it. So you've done a lot of work on the draft, value of draft picks and everything. I've got a take on kickers. I think we're a little harsh on the kicker analysis, but we see guys like Cade York from the Browns drafted, cut, and then the Browns have to trade for Dustin Hopkins. That's the most I'm gonna name kickers on the show. I don't do it. I just don't name special teamers on the show. I mean, I, people know they're asking for more punting analysis. I'm like, I'm not going to give it to you. I can't do it. Um, I try to watch every game on Sunday at the same time. I get eight games, maybe ten at a time. And as soon as the as soon as special teams come out, I'm off that game. It's just how I do. It. I'm off that game, right? As soon as I know there's a kick happening, I got to go to the next game. I got to watch real football plays. So I'm not going to talk special teams. The most we discuss is never draft kickers, right? That's the the word going around here. What are your What's going on with the kicker market, and should you ever draft a kicker? No, you should not. I will say this. I, okay, seventh-round pick, sure, go ahead. But when you're using a pick that could actually be a legitimate player on either side of the football, uh, it also there isn't even a history of success. I mean, the Buccaneers traded up for Roberto Aguayo in the second round, uh, didn't even make the team or whatever, barely, barely stayed on the team for a significant period of time. You have Daniel Carlson, the Vikings draft him, trade him to the Raiders, or cut him, he goes to the Raiders. Matt Gay, guy we talked about earlier, I'm mentioning all sorts of kickers now, you know, goes to the okay. Bucks again or the Rams whoever he was in the beginning he gets you know get let go so you're not even hitting on these players yes Cincinnati Bengals legend Evan McPherson I suppose is a hit but um, I'll stop naming kickers now as well that's that's the end of the list but no it's you might as well light the draft pick on fire if it is a top first five round pick and you're taking a kicker I think it's an automatic bad pick I, I don't care about the context at all yeah but my basic take on kickers is, you know, because we, we've done a ton of analysis on predicting kicker ability is, you know, futile, right? Like, you just, you can't do it. But it's, I think, it's only, it's because there's only 32 jobs, right? Like, isn't, if you, if you put every position and put it at the same standard of kicker, and you said there's only 32, I, you have to be one of the best 32 or you're a failure. And if you're one of the, and if you're kicker 24 to 32, you're also kind of a failure because we want to get better. So it's really, you got to be better, like one of the top 15 or 20, or else we're going to be looking elsewhere. If we put every position up to that standard, left tackle, quarterback, we already kind of do it, which feels like, hey, it's really tough to hit on quarterbacks. I mean, it's easier to hit on receivers because they get to be wide receiver two, three. They get to just be a deep threat. They get to just be a yak guy. A corner can be a number two corner or a nickel. They could also sit for a year or two and then eventually play. Kickers don't get to sit. 
They don't get to be a backup, and they have to be a top 15 or 20 guy or you feel like a failure right off the bat. So that's part of the reason why I think it feels so bad to be able to actually hit on kickers. Right? It's, it's difficult to have a good hit rate. That's the thing, too, right? You're in Cleveland this year. You're that front office, even though you just used a fourth-round pick on them last year. But they can't afford to lose games. And, I mean, even think back to last year. It's not just his preseason. He missed an extra point in the 31-30 loss to the Jets last year. Like, you know, I know he won them a game with a 58-yarder in week one. So I'm not trying to just pile on Cade York here. But there is no patience. You can't wait for him to figure it out if it's mental or if he has a, a nagging injury. He, he's just done, right? There is, there's no ability to keep on, you know, hold on to that player. I guess he could go on IR or whatever, but but that is the issue. Like you just said, he could sit on the bench, he could be a special teamer, whatever. That is not the case for kickers. All right, so you just recently moved to Pittsburgh. Is that correct? I'm moving there in uh, in July, soon. So you're in the we, – we PFF is getting their tentacles into Pittsburgh here, which is um, – look, of, of all the fan bases – where there might be a clashing of styles. Pittsburgh is near the top. Fan bases, media, the whole thing. I've got some media friends over there, but you know, like the, the old school media resides in Pittsburgh there, you know? Um, but I have been incredibly positive about the Steelers this offseason. After years of being a little negative toward the Steelers in their team building effort, I have not had a bad thing to say about Pittsburgh this entire offseason are you in agreement? Where do you stand, Omar Khan, and the job that he's doing in Pittsburgh? I'm with you 110%. I think they've had a flawless offseason. Um, I really, really do. And I think it continued even into this morning where I was on a Pittsburgh radio yesterday and they said, name one thing they could do. I said, you know, I'd still love to see some secondary depth maybe added to the roster. Oh, here comes in Desmond King, a guy we've loved for a very long time, can play in the slot, can play a little bit on the outside as well. I think he's a good fit in this system and this defense as well. Um, it, it's exactly what they needed to do. But I love their draft class. I love Keanu Benton. Sounds like Darnell Washington is healthy and ahead of where they even thought he was going to be. You know, the funny thing is, I, you know, look, I love Isaac Samalo. I'll go on forever. The funny thing is, and I like Broderick Jones, but he might not even start week one. You know, it sounds like Dan Moore has had that good of a camp, but because everything else has been so, so good um, the entire offseason top to bottom, I'm not even sure people are going to say, oh, we traded up to the 14th overall and the kid's not even starting. They don't even care because everything else is going so, so well. Yeah, and Ken, you know, Kenny Pickett's looking really good. It's, I mean, it's about 15 dropbacks. It's kind of like our Jordan Love analysis last year. Hey, Jordan Love looked good in 12 dropbacks last year. Therefore, he's ready. Um, but Pickett looked pretty good down the stretch. I thought, you know, throwing the ball-wise, he looked fine. The scheme wasn't great last year, but limited time during the preseason, all the highlights from camp and everything, looks like Pickett could be ready for a big step forward here. So... Yeah, AFC North is going to be really tight, man. It's going to be like some, one of those four teams is going to be really disappointed at the end of the year, and I don't think it's because they're going to have a – it might be injuries, but it, it's not because they did a bad job, I don't think, building their team. Unless Deshaun Watson just never gets back to his old form or, or Kenny Pickett just never really develops. I think all four teams have done such a good job in the AFC North. I can't wait. can't wait to see all of that unfold. Um, how about some – Kelvin Joseph trade for Noah Igbenogany. How about that one? It, my uh, old friend Eric Eager jumped the gun. He said, that's, uh, that's James Baldwin for A.J. Jenkins. You know, a couple former high picks, same position, didn't work out in the one situation. They get traded in year three or four. Uh, I love those, uh, 
hey, you didn't work out here. This guy didn't work out here. Let's just flip it and, and see what happens. Igbenogany goes to the Cowboys, Kelvin Joseph from the Cowboys to the Dolphins. Any thoughts? No, it is truly just say, hey, hopefully a change of scenery and a reset will help you figure things out. Joseph, I think, does carry special teams value. I- I'd be lying if I said I checked Noah Igbenogany's participation on special teams, but like I've seen Joseph as a gunner. I've seen him make some plays in that regard, and maybe that's all it is. But he's the more recent pick. I want to say a year after Igbenogany, maybe even two years after. Um, but yeah, it's just a swap of, of, of failed picks with the original team, and hopefully things work out. Um, but I do like Joseph, even if he's just a special teamer. Um, you know, Miami doesn't care. They, they didn't make the pick. I, I think there's some value there by itself. All right, we're going to fly around the league here. Just the stuff that I had highlighted, some of the stuff that I found interesting that happened yesterday. So speaking of the Steelers, they traded guard Kevin Dotson to the Rams. Uh, I think it's a good buy low for the Rams. You know, the Steelers have all this offensive line depth. Dotson's played pretty well, been a better pass protector than a run blocker. Rams also, I mean, they're going to have, I mean, it's like a, it's a group of teenagers and Aaron Donald and Matthew Stafford there, but um, they end up releasing Logan Bruss last year. He was their pick at 103 or whatever it was, their first draft pick, and they were drafting for need and said, we got to fill this one guard spot on our defending Super Bowl champion roster. Bruss has battled injuries, but now Dotson can maybe step into that spot. I thought that was a, uh, an interesting move yesterday by the Rams, and also they end up trade, you know, releasing the one guy that they were hoping to peg in as a starter when they drafted him last year. The Phoenix Suns the scouting department should hang out and just figure out what to do and how to make it look like they're doing work. Uh, you know, just kind of, you know, t- t- touch the keypad until things happen. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's never good when your first pick in the class uh, is already off the team. But I do like the move for Dotson. I, I think he was just thrown in uh, with Pittsburgh too early uh, and was asked to do too much too early and it kind of destroyed his confidence or whatever the case may be there. Um, but yeah, credit to Pittsburgh. We just talked about not just the starters, but the fact that you have, you know, Nate Herbig, I think is a good depth guard obviously mason cole in the fall he's gonna start at center but can play all different spots across the line like they, they have this luxury available to them because they also built good depth behind this o-line all right i'm gonna take a chance here i'm gonna ask the chat let us know what teams do you want us to discuss if we haven't talked uh, talked about your team there might not be exciting things about your team we might not know it right off the top of our head but we'll give you some team analysis here between brad and i um i don't know if we've discussed it here on the pff nfl podcast yet um, and I probably should have led with this, but the Trey Lance deal that went down over the weekend, haven't even gotten, gotten to that yet. But Trey Lance getting traded from the 49ers to the Dallas Cowboys. We're not going to have this stupid debate radio, you know, let's, yeah, yeah. Tyler, put the headline, is, is Dak Prescott's job, is it, in, is it in danger because the third string quarterback from the 49ers has been traded? No, obviously not. Um, but what do you make of Dallas? trading for Trey Lance, especially given the mechanics of where he is on his rookie contract compared to Dak and all that stuff. Yeah, I really like the move. And I think you've seen this offseason. Dallas has finally looked across town to the Philadelphia Eagles, their bitter rivals, and said, enough of hearing about Howie Roseman and hearing about all the edges he finds in football, in talent evaluation, whatever. And one of my favorite quotes of all time from Howie Roseman is, he says, I'm in a quarterback development job. That that industry, that's what I do. 
I develop quarterbacks, not just starters, but backups. You can then trade for value, et cetera, et cetera. And so what do the Cowboys do? They sign a bunch of analytics staffers. I'm not saying they're the reason they made this trade, but we know Jerry didn't talk to his GM or his head coach about it. Um, maybe he talked to John Park and, and some of the new hires uh, in the analytics staff about it. So, but yeah, I mean, it's always smart. These guys retain value forever. I know Lance just went for a fourth round pick, so not a lot of value, but he has no, you know, passing attempts in college or the pros. He's still super young. I remember coming out, he apparently was a very smart guy. I think he just lost confidence and was on a team where they were too good to have patience and develop him. It just simply wasn't going to work. I, I love the buy low for Dallas. No, I don't think it materially impacts Dak. I think maybe an extension talks. You just now can say, you know, instead of saying, hey, we have Cooper Rush, you can say, hey, we have a developmental kid we like, so we're not going to give you $80 million a year, but I don't think it, it materially impacts Dak just, just a little bit, just something, you know, in the back of your mind uh, when you're in those negotiations. I kept wanting the 49ers to maybe use Trey Lance as a change of pace. You know, I, I really thought even when Jimmy Garoppolo was the starter, they might say, okay, we'll have a you know, a tight red zone package for Trey Lance and use his running ability and everything. And again, I'm not saying take Dak Prescott off the field. I think I think you put you you want your if you have a good quarterback, he's the best weapon you have in the red zone. But I am always interested in that. You know, it, I think Dak could be a really good runner, but you might not want to expose him to those extra hits. Maybe a couple plays here and there. You put a Trey Lance in and, uh, you know, win the math game up front in the tight red zone. Lose Zeke. I agree with you. Right? Replace some Zeke production close to the uh, well to the end he zone. could replace zeke at center maybe for that that uh playoff game <laughs> yes. as well but no i mean like the marcus mariotas the you know the guys that have come in and play you know with, with back with john gruden back in the day um you've seen it work yeah i, I do think you have a couple packages Taysom hill-esque packages i suppose um just to keep the defense on their toes why not all right i asked the chat name some teams they want to know about the uh the jets what are your thoughts on the jets where they are of course aaron Rodgers and uh, Aaron Rodgers becoming uh, really likable because we've got a microphone on him and he says some funny things right now, so people like him on uh, on Hard Knocks. Are, are the Jets equipped to make this uh, Super Bowl run that people are expecting for them? Well, so I was I was at practice last week, um, last Wednesday, so exactly a week ago today. Um, and, and I'll tell you, the defensive line I think is one of the deepest and most talented I've seen in a very long time. I mean, I, Bryce Huff and Jermaine Johnson were winning almost every single rep, but that is also at the same time, the scary part is that Rodgers was, and some of it was by design, but he completed a lot of nice passes. He had an awesome pass to Garrett Wilson. The highlight of the day was a touchdown to Alan Lazard. Every single one of those passes was while he was scrambling yeah. because his offensive line had gotten beaten off the snap and then he had to kind of run for his life. So, you know, I, I do think they are equipped to do it. I was also there the day that Corey Davis, I guess, announced he's retiring from football. Why I think they maybe do up? need to look into adding more talent at wide receiver. Not right now, but maybe down the road if a name presents itself. But, but yes, I, I think they are a contender. I really, really do. And I think this defense is, is special. The Jets' offensive line is absolutely their biggest story heading into the season. And uh, we've, we mentioned a ton of times on the show here that Josh Jones, yeah, former Arizona Cardinal now, would be the perfect guy, a backup tackle who's played successfully on the left side. And they're, you know the Cardinals were showcasing him at right tackle as well. And the Texans trade for Josh Jones instead for, what, a fifth rounder in exchange of a seven. I mean, 
it just felt like a perfect fit for the Jets, but I, I don't know. They've got Mekhi Becton at right tackle. Do they feel good enough about him? The depth on the offensive line for the Jets absolutely scares me, and you, you said you saw it at practice. I think we've seen it a little bit in the preseason. All the reports from practice, that is the one thing I think that could derail the Jets' season, and they just have to keep an eye on you know, what could be available as a plug-and-play, which is usually not much when it comes to offensive line. It's funny. It's like they, I think, will be fine on the offensive line if Makai Becton stays good at right tackle. I think he has looked good and stays healthy, which he never has. And then if a 39 year old Dwayne Brown, who's coming off of uh, rotator cuff surgeries on both shoulders, uh, if, if those guys stay healthy, I love their interior. I think they have a great uh, interior Agreed. kind of swing guard center and Joe Tipman. You know, I, I like bringing back, um, you know, Connor McGovern for basically a minimum contract. I think once you get a healthy Elijah Vera Tucker, he's a, he's a stud. And, and I think Lakin Tomlinson needs to play a little better than last year, but is a good player. Like, it, it, they're held together by, you know, duct tape and, and prayers. But if it works out, then, then it's hard to find a weakness on this roster. We have a request for some Eagles analysis. They did. They made a, a shrewd, under-the-radar, Howie type of move yesterday. They signed uh, Isaiah Rogers, the uh, former Colts cornerback who's suspended for the season for the gambling issue. He had a pretty nice season last year for the Colts. They get to stash him uh, Calvin Ridley style the way that the Jags did. Uh, what are your thoughts overall on the Eagles? Can they get back to the Super Bowl with what they've done this offseason? Yeah, so I actually was at Eagles camp the day before. Uh, I was at Jets camp, and they, they were going up against the Colts. I'll, I'll say this. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, and I know we just talked about how the Colts are rostering a bunch of rookie or undrafted corners, but they didn't get stopped on a single rep the entire day. Like, yeah. I, it's not even exaggerating. They made the catch every single time, whether it was 7-on-7, seven 1-on-1, seven, one 11-on-11. One, 11 11, it did not matter. But for me with them... Their depth at receiver and their depth at corner is interesting. Look, I love all four starters. I also love Darius Slay and James Bradbury, but it gets interesting. And then you have Keely Ringo and, and Elijah Ricks and some of these names. And at receiver, you know, obviously, uh, Quiz Watkins is a good player. But if they get an injury to one of those spots, which, of course, you can say about any roster, but then it gets a little interesting to me where there's just a little bit of fragility. But, but also, Jalen Carter was also dominant that day the defensive line is going to be insane nolan smith was kind of beating guys around the around the corner uh bernard raymond a couple times where he was just too small but but kind of you know bendy uh for raymond to do anything they're loaded again i just am kind of concerned about you know if one of those top corners or, or, or receivers go down you know what do they do yeah the, the thing i loved about the eagles last year was their ability to win any type of game with their defense, back end of their defense, their their pass rush, their run game, their pass game on offense, all of it. Maybe you lose a little bit of that. Uh, maybe you get a little bit of regression from those older corners, James Bradbury and Darius Slay, because uh, we didn't think they were going to be back this year, right? It was going to be really difficult for them to keep them. But um, do, do they have, just while we're talking Eagles, are there secret bookkeeping uh, – advantages that either the Eagles or like there's no way that only two teams have access to this really shrewd way of working the cap and, and moving cash around there's no way that exists right again there's 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 32 teams there's 32 cap guys there's a lot of smart people around the league there's no way Howie and the in the Eagles have an edge right like what what is that world what does that world look like also, they don't have an edge in that they're doing things that are like illegal or, or gray area or whatever. I wasn't but suggesting look, illegal. Wasn't oh, suggesting illegal. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, right. Just, just skirting the line. No, but when Howie Roseman's your GM and he has a cap guy background and then they have multiple other football administration people in the building, they, they have more 
ammo there and more people that are solely focused on finding edges, ways to construct contracts, ways to get out of money, to push money down the line in creative ways. Like, it's not that other teams can't do it. It's that they aren't investing as many resources in finding ways to do it. So, I mean, to a degree, yes, they have an advantage. They have an edge. But also, at the end of the day, it comes back to an owner's willingness to do it, spend a whole lot of money and all these things. Um, and, and they certainly have that with Jeffrey Lurie as well. We have a request for the Jaguars and uh analysis on what the Jags are doing. One of the things that I like to look at around the league is how teams are constructing position groups. So there are some, like the Colts have four wide receivers and five tight ends, which is just inverted, right? That's just, that's, well, that's odd. Um, the Jaguars have seven name receivers. You know, a couple of them are special teamers. Jamal Agnew is a do-it-all type of player. Um, but seven receivers in name because they have a guy like Elijah Cooks who broke out in the preseason. They wanted to keep him. But um, the Jags, I'm a little worried about their offensive line the same way I was, you know, I'm worried about the Jets. What, do you, what are your thoughts on what Jacksonville's done? Is their defense going to be good enough? And is Trevor Lawrence for real? You know, those are my big question marks going into the season. Elijah Cook's super fun. I'm glad he made the roster. I thought he was awesome. I think it was week two in the preseason. But I'll say this. like, If Dan Arnold's a tight end, then Elijah Cook's is a tight end. But anyway, um, yeah, their offensive line is interesting. You know, I do like Walker Little. I think Anton Harrison's going to figure it out. But that interior scares me because they already had injuries coming into the year. Ben Barch was down. They had a couple other injuries. And some of their young guys also got hurt during the preseason. So... I think it'll be interesting to see how they overcome until Cam Robinson gets back. When he does return, does one of Harrison or Walker Little maybe kick inside to guard? Uh, in the meantime, that'll be interesting. And then the defense, like, they're so young, so it could just be growth that we see and they don't need to add talent. Um, but the secondary outside of Tyson Campbell, yeah, it gives me a little reason for pause. But uh, I think the offense is going to be dynamic, going to be explosive. They're going to score a whole lot of points. Um, but, yeah, you, you can you can still poke some holes in this roster. Lions fans in the chat begging for some Lions analysis, Brad. We have, you know, much like the Steelers this offseason, everybody's been talking up the Lions. You're looking at a roster where uh, we were at camp a few weeks ago, and it's, it is nice to see in real time, even if it's only for a day or two, what, what teams look like. But the depth that the Lions have now versus three years ago is like night and day. You know, players that uh, are going to be backups that absolutely would have been playing a thousand snaps for them just a couple years ago. Are you as high on the Lions as maybe the public perception heading into the season? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, you got me? Lions analysis. We got you? You high you, on the you, Lions? Steve, you got me? I do. Yes. You can't hear me, though. Did I lose? I got you. No, I got you. All right. All right. So Lions, baby. We're talking Lions? Yeah. Tell me about the Lions right. this year. Yeah, let's talk Lions. Look, I, I do like the Lions. They're going to win the NFC North. Uh, I think they should be the prohibitive favorite in that division. But again, for me, you can poke some holes in that team. On the defensive line, on the interior, uh, you know, I, I do love Ali McNeil, but is Levi Wuzurike going to be healthy enough to play? Do they have enough there elsewise? I love John Kaminsky. I think he can kick inside. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson showed last year he can kick inside as well. But but that gives me a little bit of pause. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's hard to find many big weaknesses on this team. Random throwaway, but uh, if you're not drafting Jameer Gibbs in your fantasy league, I, I don't know what you're doing. Oh, yeah, you can drop some fantasy nuggets in here. Only two <laughs> running backs on the roster, right? Him and David Montgomery. So Gibbs, um, they're going to use him, right? They're going to use him. I think empty packages, they're moving him around. Uh, may have seen a player, too, that looked pretty well designed for uh, 
for a pass catching running back while I was there. Not sure how much we we're allowed to disclose, but um, yes, agree. Jameer Gibbs, they're going to. I mean, we've talked about when we say don't draft running backs high, and then the pushback is like, well, look at the production these first round running backs have, and then we always we the analytics community will come back and say, yeah, that's. Uh, self-fulfilling, right? That's you drafted a guy high, you're going to feed that guy. You're justifying yourself. You're going to feed him, right? Like the, the, the Falcons aren't going out of their way to justify Tyler Algier in feeding him this year. They're just like, oh, we'll get somebody else. He was just a fifth rounder. But they're going to justify that. They're going to feed Bijan just like the Lions are going to feed Jameer Gibbs. So I agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, there's a question about the Texans' offensive line. So there's been a lot of turnover there the last couple of days. You got Kenyon Green is out for the season with a shoulder injury. He had a rough rookie season, 14th overall pick in 2022. Um, he's out for the year. Juice Scruggs, uh, rookie out of Penn State, has a hamstring injury. He's out two to four weeks, so he will not. He was going to be the starting center. And then the Texans trade for Kendrick Green from um, our, our Steelers, I guess. Um, you're Pittsburgh Steelers now. Uh, Kendrick Green comes in, a guy that's you know struggled a little bit or struggled a little bit playing center. For the Steelers, it looks like he's going to slot in at left guard right away. Jarrett Patterson now getting the start at center. To go with three veterans, Laramie Tunsil, Shaq Mason, and Titus Howard. But Titus, Titus Howard, of course, dealing with his own injury. And Josh Jones comes in with the trade from Arizona. It, it's, it's weird to see that much offensive line movement. I know a lot of it's injury, but that's like three new starters between Kendrick Green, Jarrett Patterson, and Josh Jones in the last week for the Texans, so I don't know if that's going to affect C.J. Stroud early on with um, you know some inconsistency and just new names up front for Houston. It's a little scary because they made it a priority, and in the beginning they had an offensive line that got you excited. If you saw Kenyon Green take that step, obviously their their 15th overall pick last year, who didn't play very well, but um, you know Kendrick Green was like lining up at fullback in Steelers camp and doing different things to justify being on the roster, which obviously I don't think he would have been, you know, absent that trade. Love Shaq Mason, love Laramie Tunsil, and we do like Josh Jones. I think he's going to be fine, but also going to a new team. I do think it's going to hamper them because for me with the Texans, it was, all right, the weapons are not very good, but his protection should be awesome. So maybe he'll have enough time for a guy to come open. Now it's like you need Nico Collins and Robert Woods and Tank Dale and, and, and Mechie, whatever, to separate quickly, get open. They're not going to do that on every snap. Yeah, the uh, little fragility up there with the offensive line. Another team where that might ring true and I don't know this is a bit of a theme here we talked about the Jets O-line maybe Houston's offensive line do the Bills have a similar question there so Spencer Brown at right tackle he heads into year three he's their big question mark they're trying to bring Jermaine Effetti in there I don't know if that was official or not did they bring Effetti in to Buffalo as a backup I think the plan was to sign him I'm not sure it's official yet but I'm, I'm sure it'll get done they, it's scary. It's a little scary for me there for sure. I, I mean, I do like adding the other Connor McGovern, who was very good for Dallas last year at left guard, but and Deion Dawkins is a good player uh, as well. But yeah, Spencer Brown did not look good in the preseason. Um, I think mean, Nick Herbig's highlight, you know, the, the highlight of maybe the entire preseason, I think, was against Spencer Brown. Uh, and there are a handful of other pressures he allowed over the course of the three games. So it's concerning, but Allen does mitigate that to a degree. Uh, we'll see. All right, I'll give one last call to the chat because uh, I, I apologize to um, the social team that's going to be putting uh, timestamps on all this, and it's like keeping up. We had no plan whatsoever. 
full disclosure, I had no, no order, right? We had a plan. We're going to talk ball, right? We're going to talk ball. We're going to talk rosters. That was the plan. But we had no order, right? We're just popcorning around, as we say on our stupid Zoom calls, right? Great business. You got popcorn around the league. That's what they say. Um, I had another question, though. Oh, this is, this, this is my question, Brad. From a cap perspective, from a team-building perspective, are there certain positions where it's easier to store depth? And if you were in position, because I got this question a while ago as GM Steve, where would I spend my extra roster spots? you got a 53-man. Are you hiding seven receivers like the Jags are? All these teams that have O-line issues, you need to, you need to dress eight but do you store 10, right, just to make sure that you have depth in-house and guys that can step in? Do you want to roll nine deep on the defensive line and say, we're just going to, we're going to have everybody play at least 10 to 15 snaps and stay fresh? Do you want to have the secondary depth? Uh, do you have a strategy on where you would play your depth, or is there, something, is there a financial edge at some positions versus others? So I got trenches on both sides of the ball, but there is an advantage. You know, we're talking about the third quarterback rule earlier. They also made the rule uh, a couple years ago now with the new CBA, where if you dress 10 offensive linemen, you're allowed to have 48 active players on game day. I think, and then if you have nine, I think you're allowed to have 47. So you're basically getting a, again, an extra active game day player. If you have more offensive line. Also, we just were talking about, it's impossible to find good offensive line play, um, you know, particularly depth, you know, in the league. I think it's one, why spring spring football leagues don't even work. We talk about quarterbacks a lot. Sure, I think offensive line maybe the bigger problem. So I would go there, and then yes, defensive line as well. I'm huge on, especially as contracts skyrocket, on on this platoon approach. Like the Eagles last year, who obviously set records across the board. Yes, they have some awesome, awesome players, but I also think it's because they were just rotating guys in at fresh bodies. No one played that much. So yeah, for me, for me, it's trenches, no question. Yeah, the. I don't know why, but the 17-game, I know it's just one extra week. It just feels more taxing. It's one extra game, but it's that plus there's one fewer buy, right? It, it does feel like the attrition aspect is, is more important than it's ever been. One extra regular season game, and even for some of the better teams in each conference, you one extra playoff game. So it does feel like depth. More important than ever. I know it always has been for the NFL when teams have a position group fall apart and it's really tough to compete. But that one extra game, man, it does feel like you might lean into keeping guys fresh or a move like what Buffalo did. Hey, Vaughn Miller's going to miss the first four weeks. That's fine. You know, we're going to have to sacrifice something early in the season to make sure he's fresh because we're not making a, high, you know, a deep playoff run if Vaughn Miller's not there. I do think those, those decisions, um, you know, a little different maybe than they were just a few years ago. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And this is anecdotal, but I just I can think of an Isaiah Hodgins or Rasul Douglas like easier than I can think of some trench player sneaking through and then becoming like a, a high level starter. Um, it's just yeah, but I, I'm with you. Yeah, and also for the for the teams that have a, a big name quarterback, uh, they're already paying him 50 million or whatever it is, and or, you know, say the Bengals right here. You know you're paying. You're going to have to pay Burrow. You know you're going to have to pay Jamar Chase. You want to pay T Higgins. At some point, you got to have cheap at expensive positions. So keep drafting edge defenders or keep drafting offensive linemen or whatever it might be because you have to save money somewhere, but you still want to have good players there. All right, let's wrap it up with this. Couple requests. We got the Bucks and Bengals. The Bucks are going to have, let me see, according to my sheet here, 
13 rookies on the roster in Tampa Bay. 13, which includes six undrafted free agents per Jenna Lane of ESPN. Six undrafted free agents. and not It's not her report, but her report is the most of the Jason Light era for Tampa Bay. Another roster that's in an interesting spot because Baker Mayfield's a clear bridge quarterback, but you still have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. That's a really nice foundation for throwing the ball. Dave Canales comes in to call plays, maybe make life easier on his quarterback this year. What are your thoughts on the Bucs in that week NFC South? Yeah, I think some of it is tied to injuries. You know, Ryan Jensen obviously out for the year now. Russell Gage out for the year now as well. But they also should have a youth movement. Um, I, I liked a lot of their draft. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and I know they they cut. Uh, I'm blanking on his name now. The sixth rounder, the edge rusher out of Eastern Michigan, Jose right? Ramirez. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, like I think you have to do this. They they are again in that competitive rebuild, whatever buzzword you want to use right now. I don't think they're going to be as bad as some people think. Like, I don't think they're a first overall pick caliber team just because some of the veterans on this roster are simply too good. Um, and the NFC South is also simply too bad. Uh, but but I, I like, you know, Light turning over this roster. I think Light is very good at pre-Tom Brady and during Tom Brady and now. Like, be very aggressive in exactly what you're chasing and then don't dilly-dally in the middle. Like, very quickly kind of get to the next phase. Um, I, th- I think he's been good in that regard. Awesome. So there we go. We touched on a lot of stuff here, Brad. I appreciate it. Any, anything else you want to add to the mix here? Anything else to keep an eye on here as we head into uh, to week one? What are you going to be watching here as we head into week one, just almost a week away from opening night? I'm not waiting for some of these extensions, man. I mean, Christian Wilkins sounds like it's not going to get done. Um, you know, Nick Bosa, like, it's really, really quiet for a lot of big-name players. Brian Burns, Nick Bosa, etc. We're getting down to the wire here. What does that end up looking like? Is that uh, these guys might not be with their teams next year, their trade candidates, like, a Brian, like if things start slow for the Panthers, is Brian Burns on the trading block again at the at the deadline? And uh, what's the – did I see the trade, trade deadline change this year? Did I miss that? It's Halloween, which I think is earlier than it was last year. I okay, that's, it was like November 8th last year. I yeah. saw so, some somebody try to say it was October 1st, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. They just moved it back. Which was which was great, you know. When you move it back and it becomes a little more like baseball, like you you can actually pick someone up midseason. That does is it, that is a lot more fun. But are we talking about maybe not a Nick Bosa, but a Brian Burns as a trade candidate for a team that needs pass rush? The Panthers turned down two firsts from the Rams last year, and then traded them to this deadline. It's one of the most biggest mishandlings of an asset I've ever seen in my entire life. So I hope not. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh... Man, what were the Rams thinking? Why would the Rams give up two firsts for Burns last year? No offense, Rams. I love you less. I know you might be watching. So, just saying, we got people around the league. They like to watch. I love you less. I can't wait to watch the Rams this year with all their their teenagers and Aaron Donald playing defense. All right. Well, Brad Spielberger, appreciate you joining us here on the PFF NFL podcast. Follow Brad at PFF underscore Brad. That's your name, right? Yeah. Just making sure. PFF underscore Brad. Follow him on Twitter. Thanks to Brad. I'll finish up with uh, with the solo shot here. Can we do that, Tyler? Thank you, Brad. I'll let you go. I just want to tell the people what to uh, what to expect going forward. Ha <laughs> ha! It's my show now. Sam's gone. Everybody's gone. It's just me. Stick with me for one more minute. Here's what we got coming down. I got. Trevor Sikama coming tomorrow to talk all things NFL draft. I've been grinding a little bit of draft film, so we're going to talk 
uh, draft prospects, everything you want to see for college football this year from a draft perspective and a high-level view of what to expect next April, the quarterbacks to look for, which position groups are strong, weak, whatever it might be. Um, and then we're going to have a bet show next, next week. It's not just a bet show. It's really a fan, listener, viewer prediction show. So your predictions. I might be more willing to take a few more bets this year from everybody. It doesn't uh, – Sam's not here, but I'm going to make a call. It doesn't have to be something that I completely am against. I'm here to just let people put their name on the line, something bold, right? Geno Smith's going to lead the league in touchdowns. Uh, Brock Purdy's going to be Super Bowl MVP. Whatever it might be, be bold, and uh, we'll put a PFF subscription, PFF Plus subscription on the line. Um, but we're going to do that show on Monday or, or Wednesday. Yeah, probably Wednesday. And we're going to do our prediction show. So sometime next week, either Monday show or the Wednesday show, we have to get in – all of our season bets and predictions from the fans and our prediction show. Um, so yeah, that's what I said. So Monday, we'll do our predictions, Labor Day. And then Wednesday, you guys, you will do your predictions. And uh, we won't take all of them. We'll take the ones that are bold or completely against what we believe. And we'll just track them during the season as a group. It's a family, uh, family fun here. It's like, it's like guessing the jelly beans, you know? Um, so we'll have some fun with that next week. Our prediction show, and then your prediction prediction show, and then it's season preview. We'll be previewing season one and our uh, week one, and right into the monster shows, two hour previews and two and a half hour reviews, and the whole thing. So, anyway, we appreciate everybody. If you're new, we appreciate you joining us for the season. Um, we have some fun. We just talk ball, and uh, who knows, ramble a little bit, talk baseball, talk rugby, but mostly talk football and try to touch on every team as much as possible. So we appreciate everybody for joining us live here on YouTube and everybody's listening for podcasts. We'll be back again tomorrow with more PFF NFL podcast.